Hi, my name is Aisha McGowan, and this is Quick Brown Foxes, a podcast that seeks to answer the question how to get more women of color into cycling by asking women of color how they got into cycling. This episode was recorded as a live podcast on May 26, 2019 at Look Mom No Hands in London. I interviewed Jules Walker, a blogger, presenter, and now published author of her first book, Back in the Frame. Her blog, Velocity Girl, focuses on different aspects of cycling, including cycle style, her own adventures on two wheels, and how to widen participation in the activity. This episode is brought to you by my sponsors and partners, Live Cycling, SRAM, Carmichael Training Systems, Cliff Bar, 100%, and Feedback Sports. I would also like to thank all of my patrons, Rosemary Bollock, Karen Brooks, Jess Strangward, Parnee, Elizabeth Reincourt, Michelle Smith, Sarah Williams, and Leanne Evans. Please consider supporting my advocacy and this project by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash aquickbrownfox. <laughs> okay, so I usually do this in a very private room by myself and can edit as needed. So this will be interesting. <laughs> Um, thanks so much for coming to this live version of Quick Brown Foxes. Have any of you heard any of the other podcast episodes? Yes. Is this anyone's first time experiencing an episode? (laughs) 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 This is my first time doing this live episode thing, so that, yeah, okay, so we're in it together. All right, so, the premise behind Quick Brown Foxes is, um... It's got a couple parts to it. So the simplified version is that I would like to um, find out how to get more women of color into cycling by just asking them, like the ones who are already here, how they did it, like what got them into cycling. The other thing is I think it's really important to give people of color the opportunity to tell their own stories. Um, In my experience, I've had my story told a couple times in the past years, and most of the time it's not completely accurate. Um, Sometimes facts will just get missed or completely made up or sometimes they'll even spell my name wrong, like really simple things. And I think that's not okay. I think it's really obnoxious. And an easy way to fix that is to let people speak for themselves. Um, And so now that I've got a bit of a platform, I wanted to kind of share that and give other people like me an opportunity to tell their own stories because I'm not the only person of color on a bike I'm not the only woman of color on a bike I'm completely like I'm confident of that but I think there's um, a misconception within the industry that now that I've popped up that I'm the only one that's here people get confused for me or I get confused for people and we don't all look the same so (laughs) (laughs) there is a need (laughs) for more stories to be heard and to be presented, and not just to know more people of color, but to know that we have very different stories, even though there are similarities, and that we all enjoy bikes in in various ways. Um, And it's just, I think it's cool to, to know who's out there, and while I might not be inspirational to somebody, Jules might be that inspiration, and so I want to give people that opportunity to find their person or find somebody that they can um, associate to and like feel represented by, because I cannot represent everybody. So that is the whole point of this podcast, and I don't know if I am or am not succeeding, but it's been really fun to try. <laughs> and so today, I am speaking with Jules Walker, who has just released this awesome book that I don't think any of us have had the chance to get through completely yet, (laughs) um, but are very, very excited to do so. (laughs) Um, And I'm going to let Jules tell us a little bit about herself, and then we'll dive in. Well, hi, everyone. Thanks for coming along today as well. Um, I'm really excited that this is the first event that I'm doing in London for the book, and I'm doing it with Aisha, and that it's part of our Women of Colour Cycling Group that we have going on as well, so big love to you for that too. Um, So, some of you already know me, for those of you that don't, my name is Jules Walker. I blog as Lady Velo under Velo City Girl, which I've done for the last nine years. Um, And it's basically been my way of journaling my 
journey, as it were, of getting back into to cycling and as a woman of colour, what it's been like being on a bike as well. So I started cycling when I was a kid. Uh, like I had a tricycle at home that I used to bomb around the house on, like I'm sure most children did as well. Uh, but I fell in love with my sister's bike. So my big sister, who is eight years older than me, had a BMX that was the love of my life, even though it wasn't even my bike. But it was so cool watching her ride around on it. And as a young black woman as well, especially in the time that she was on that bike, it was a big deal. So as I said, my sister is eight years older than me. She got the bike in 1982 when I was born, but I still grew up watching her riding around on it. And as a young black girl that was on a BMX in the late, like early to late 80s, it was a, a big deal. She used to get a lot of sick about it at school um, because she was one of the only black girls in her school that was riding a bike like that as well. And it was predominantly young white boys that you would see cycling around on BMX. What kind and of bike was it? It was a, a team rally BMX. It was red and yellow and had chrome detailing all over it and pads at the front and pads on the frame and these big fat red snake belly tires as well. It was badass, the bike that she had. It was a badass bike. And the thing is, is that my sister had and I've said it in the, the book, she had a very I don't give a bleep attitude about being <laughs> on that bike as well, which is the thing that I loved about that too. But um, she, she went through that thing that a lot of young girls end up going through. You hit your teens, suddenly it's not cool to be on a bike anymore, your friends aren't doing it, you all wanna learn how to drive, there's the peer pressure of being like everybody else as well. And then there was the element of her not feeling particularly safe on her bike. So that was down to experiencing catcalling, which is something I then experienced when history repeated itself. And then not feeling that confident in traffic and the roads as well. So she stopped. The bike got put in the downstairs cupboard where it lived for quite some time. And then when I was allowed to get my hands on it, which was the silver lining of a very bad cloud, I guess, that was my joy. I How finally, old were you? I was seven years old when I got hold of it. So there was a wait. There was a bit of a wait, but it was, it was joyful. And the wonderful thing with it as well is that our older brother, who is 16 years older than me, so mama spaced us out by eight years, she did her thing. Um, he taught me how to ride it as well, and he taught my sister how to ride it too. So there was a real sort of legacy and history that went in with that that was quite emotional the more that I think about it. And I talk about that in the book as well, what a big deal it was, that it was a sort of hand-me-down on so many levels within my family that that happened. And yeah, that, that bike was, was my joy. It was everything. The friends... So wait, what was the experience of learning to ride? Oh my God, the experience of learning to ride initially was terrifying because I managed to, to ruin it for the first time for myself. So when I decided that I didn't need anyone to teach me how to ride the bike and it still belonged to my sister at this point... I decided to get on it. It was way too big for me. The measurements were all wrong. Were you seven at this point? I was younger than seven, okay. but I thought it would be a good idea to climb on the bike. Even though it was in the house, I was gonna ride down the passageway and I oh. just fell and landed on my ass really badly. So okay. that was a bad experience that put me off. But then when it came to actually getting the bike and my brother teaching me how to ride it, that was amazing. Like it was nervy because it was like a big girl's bike, is how I was looking at it. And then on top of that, I had no balance whatsoever. I didn't have to say to my brother to get me stabilizers, and that was one of the loveliest things that he did, that he took it upon himself to go and buy them and put them on stabilizers. the Stabilizers, is that like training wheels? Training wheels, yeah, okay. so, okay, so in America, training wheels over okay, here, stabilizers. So I had my stabilizers put on the bike, which was amazing, and you know, it didn't feel like it was cheating or anything like that. I was finding myself on the bike, that was the important thing. So, you know, my brother would come over to the house because he wasn't living at home at this point as well so that's why it was a, a big deal he'd moved out but he would come back on a weekly basis and take me out and teach me how to ride on the roads um, try and build up my confidence and things like that with it too and then the day finally came where the stabilizers could come off of the bike and that that was quite scary but really sort of exhilarating because it felt like a sort of a liberation as it were that I was at that point now and that's it. Were you still seven at this point? I was still seven okay. at this point. So, yeah, and it was the, you know, my brother was holding on to the back of me, teaching me how to, to go along. And then there was a point where I didn't realize he wasn't holding on anymore. 
and I was going and I was talking to him and I couldn't hear him answering me and I realised <laughs> and he's not behind me he's not there and it was just like ah that I'd actually done it so it was it was a beautiful moment that happened and it was rounded off with an ice cream as well because we were at the park so that was quite nice that is nice um, so you learned in the park I learned in the park so okay. Canningtown Recreation Park where I grew up and where I still live so yeah alright cool um so now you're seven, you don't need stabilizers anymore, mm -hmm. and you can ride your bike. What'd you do now? What'd you do with all this freedom? <laughs> Coffee break, sorry. <laughs> when the freedom happened, that was when I was able to really find what I still refer to now as an adult, as my crew and my second family. That's when that was born. So I used to look out the window at my friends and kids that I grew up with on the housing estate that I lived on and still do to this day really wanting to be outside with them, really wanting to be riding with them, really wanting to be running around and enjoying that freedom. And finally, I had it. I mean, there were the two things that were stopping me. Number one, I didn't know how to ride that bike. Mm -hmm. And number two, my parents couldn't have afforded to buy me the kind of bikes that those kids had already. But I didn't care because that, that BMX was the one that I wanted and the one that I got. And, you know, despite the fact it had none of the fancy gears and all of the, the stuff like that that we used to talk about at school, even though we had no idea what we were talking about. Like, you know, oh, Stephanie's got a new mountain bike and it's got 24 gears on it, blah, blah, blah. We had no idea what we were talking about, but it sounded like the shit. So that's why <laughs> we, you know, we talk about that stuff. But I had my, my, my one gear, I had my bike, my brother had spruced it up for me and... That, that was a piece wait, of wait, me. what do you mean spruced it up? He spruced it up. So like, even though it lived in the downstairs cupboard, it still needed some TLC because it was sat there. It wasn't being used. Okay. Nothing was going on with it. So, you know, he did the maintenance on it, which is something that I still, I kind of look back now and I wished I'd got more involved in that because I let my brother get on with it. And I, I grew up in a house with men that like to tinker with things as well. So my brother forever would be tinkering with stuff and just had that knowledge. My dad worked at um, Ford's, the car plant in Dagnum, and he would just spend any days off. Like, he'd fix his own car even if there was nothing wrong with it. He'd be under the bonnet doing stuff. He'd take apart the VHS uh, tape player that we had at home, literally just to see how it worked, to put it all back together again. He had to be doing something. Okay. And I used to love watching my brother and my dad do stuff like that, but I was too shy if that even makes sense to get involved even though it was my own family I felt like I didn't have that confidence or that knowledge to just get stuck in so I kind of wished I'd got involved in that side of it with with my brother when he was sprucing up the bike as it gotcha. were but he'd bought me like like I said the stabilizers for it he sorted out a new um, saddle for it because the saddle that my sister had on it it was this rock hard plastic yellow saddle which oh, that sounds comfortable yeah it was hellish it was absolutely hellish <laughs> but he sorted out the saddle on there for me as well and then he got me my bike lights which were yellow and they were accessorized with the padding that was on the bike which was great but these things they were like about this big and you know ever ready batteries they used to make bike lights and the bike lights were like lamps is the only way to describe <laughs> it you had bike to lamps bike labs you had to clamp these things on with screws onto your bike frame so they were cumbersome i don't know if i've ever seen a children's bike with lights on it really oh my brother he just kind of went down that road because he knew i think he knew what was going to happen once i started playing out with my mates that i wasn't going to be coming home when the sun was still up so that was the thing that was the other element of freedom really good foresight yeah my <laughs> brother knew like like you know we we knew so yeah <laughs> cool so when you were seven, you were allowed to go ride bikes with your friends? Yeah. Without your parents or your brother or your sister? That's awesome. Yeah, it kind of sounds weird now because it's like I'm looking at my... My sister has two young boys. They're um, 13 and 11. And she has the fear now about her two boys going out. And it's, it's lots of things that you will see going on in the news and what have you. And it's the fear of having two young black sons, basically, and then being out on their own is the fear. So it's really weird knowing that when I was seven years old, my mum and my dad just gave me license to go out because there was the safety in numbers in that sense. It didn't feel like that was an issue, that it was a group of misfit kids on various bikes <laughs> riding around no problems whatsoever and Canningtown isn't isn't the greenest of spaces as mm -hmm. well in East London it's very very sort of residential where I grew up but residential in the sense that it's tower blocks and there was plenty of building sites going on because lots of things were being torn down at the time as well 
Um, this might mean something to some of you here, but where I grew up, if you've ever heard of Ronan Point, the, um, the block of flat, that's around the corner from where, where I live. So that was a demolition site. That was also one of our favorite places to go on our bikes as well, because it was like- That sounds super safe. It was, you know, you know <laughs> safety first and all of that. But it was just, it was the forbidden fruit, but we were able to have a bite out of it. And the bikes were the things that gave us the freedom to do right. it. But at seven years old, we were out there having the time of our lives with it. That's awesome. Now, not so much. Yeah, I feel like, it's like, that's like second or third grade age. Mm. And I was probably playing in, my friends like backyards yeah. without adult supervision coming up with whatever but nowadays like i have a seven-year-old nephew and i could not imagine like i would never let him just run off and play by him like the, the thought yeah. of that is terrifying mm. so that's how it is what now. a time to be alive yeah <laughs> and you know it was i mean you know it, the funny thing is is that my mum seems to be more frightened about me being out on a bike now than <laughs> she did when i was seven eight years old so it's like even today when me and ian left she can't let us go through the door without, be careful, make sure you're careful. Ring me when you get to look mum no hands. Let me know that you're doing okay. And then when you're leaving- Did you ring? I didn't call her, I'm so sorry. <laughs> mum, if you're watching on Facebook Live, cause she might well be, cause she, she's had Facebook. I'm all right, I'm okay. <laughs> I'm fine. But you know, she's, she has that fear and it's just no matter what I say to her, there's nothing that will sort of calm her down with that. So that's why it's crazy. It's no. really funny. Yeah, that's how she's 36 years old. Big old 36 that I am, I'm still her baby. So. I was in Houston. My god, I have a godmother who lives in Houston, Texas, and we visited her a couple of months ago. And I train by myself all time, like all kinds of crazy rides, all kinds of distances, all kinds of locations. And she was terrified of the idea of me riding by myself, so she literally followed me in her car <laughs> <laughs> for an hour. That's so sweet. I'm like, I get it. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> but yeah, that, that fear is real, mm. for sure. Mm. Cool, okay, so I'm assuming you rode bikes for a while. I did. What, what did that develop into? Oh, it, well, it developed into finding more friends. Um, the heartbreaking thing was the friends that I had at the beginning fell off, basically. So like I said, history started to repeat like with my sister but there was a mix of lots of my friends that I used to ride with actually moved out of the area. And I'd, I'd never processed the idea of that because where I live in Canning Town is my forever home. I've never had the experience of living somewhere else, which is crazy. My brother and my sister have had that experience of living in different parts of London then settling in East London when mum and dad did. But I didn't have that, this, this was it, this was home. But you know, I had friends whose parents got jobs in different places and took them out of London. Lots of friends ended up moving to Essex, seemed to be the thing as well. And the group just kind of dismantled, but I tried to keep that going just for myself because I enjoyed being on a bike so much. And so still cycled into my secondary school days as well. Didn't really have that many people at secondary school that cycled, but I still tried to keep the momentum going. So wait, American. <laughs> Secondary school, is that like high, high, high school? school? Yeah. Okay. So high, high school. I'm so sorry. I'm so, so you're like a teenager. Teenager. Okay. <laughs> so in my teenage years, I was still doing that. And, you know, I went to an all girls school. Sport was obviously on the curriculum with PE, but the sports were hockey, netball, tennis, badminton, athletics, swimming. I still can't swim you and I still don't enjoy it. in school? Huh? You played badminton in school? Yeah, badminton was a thing. Badminton was oh. one of our things, which was... I don't know if I've ever played that, like, seriously. Yeah, no, we played it seriously for an hour, uh, you know, <laughs> once a week or something, but it was... Those were the kind of sports that were on, on the agenda, and not that I always think of cycling as just being a sporty thing, but it kind of would have been cool if something to do with cycling was actually there as an option, but it wasn't. And, like I said, as I was around other girls at Sarah Bunnell School, the school that I went to, that weren't into cycling as well. I just kind of started to fall out with it, but then tried to keep the, the spark alive and tried to keep on going. And it all came to a head when I was, was 18, because I'd had enough of it. Like, I felt Wait, like I'm I... I'm assuming you had a different bike by this point? No, I was still on that BMX. You were still on that BMX? Yeah, yeah. I was still on that BMX. 
tested on that BMX. It's like a one size fits all type of situation. It's just it now. Now I need to actually get myself back onto a BMX because the BMX that I had doesn't feel like the kind of BMXs I see people like Kathy here riding around on as well. But it, it was a bike that I could still ride. Like my sister had it up until she was about 14, 15 okay. when she stopped. So I carried on with it, and it was even like if I was riding to my mates' houses or stuff like that, I made the point of actually getting on my bike and riding and not getting on the bus, because I just like anything to keep the spark alive, I'm going to do it. But riding solo as a young woman, especially sometimes when you're doing it in your school uniform, is apparently licensed for guys to shout obscene things at you. So okay. yeah, that was another thing that just wasn't, wasn't cool. And when I'm finding myself wanting to change out of my uniform to cycle back home, why do I need to change anything to do with my routine and what I'm doing just to make sure that I'm, I'm safe? I should just be safe full stop because it's my mode of transport and my way of life to get around. Right. But stuff like that started to happen and that started to suck the joy out of it. And as much as sometimes I would bite my tongue and just carry on riding and then sometimes when it got too much, if someone decided to unsolicited catcalling, I would say something and then make sure that I could pedal the fuck as fast as I could away <laughs> from it because I didn't know it was going to happen. And it's even that, just that kind of balance of personal safety, do your ride. Like, I shouldn't have to be trying to counterbalance either one of these things. I should just be able to be on my bike. Agreed. But, yeah, the, the, the joy went. And at 18, I convinced myself, I don't need to do this anymore. It's not worth it. Uh, I can get where I need to go to public transport, even though I, I don't drive and I still haven't learned how to drive yet. Like, you know, public transport's right on my doorstep. I live by Canning Town Station. Everything. Going to college, there was a bus that took me straight there. Going to university, get on the DLR straight to, to Greenwich, absolutely fine. Gone. Okay, so, 18, the spark has died. Mm. You're not riding anymore. Mm -mm. How long was this hiatus? 10 whole years. That's a long one. It was long. And I watched other people cycling around me and that kind of burned at the same time as well. So like when I was at uni, lots of people would cycle in. There was cycle parking. It was Greenwich. It was near to Greenwich Park. It was beautiful. No, I can still get the DLR. It's fine. It doesn't matter. And it's just like I thought I would maybe get that encouragement from seeing other women cycling like to the campus as well. Right. No. And then... It was the, the toss-up between like the financing, because before I knew about the avenues of how to get a bike and that you don't have to pay an absolute fortune for it, oh, it's too expensive. Oh, I'm, I'm not built like what a cyclist is supposed to look Ugh. like anyway, so this isn't going to be for me anyway. Any excuse, I was just leaving it. Like All the barriers that could possibly be put up in front of me, I was just letting them slap me. Do you feel like you were mostly creating your own barriers, or do you feel like other people or other things were creating barriers as well? It was a combination of the two. I mean, like I said, in my own mind, I had those mental blocks that I was putting in front of myself. But one of the things that I still talk about now is that when you're looking at the world of cycling and you feel like you're not seeing yourself reflected in it or anyone that you can identify with, why on earth would I think this is something that I'm going to slot into and be able to do again? So there were still there were barriers there that, you know, all of us are trying to break down at the moment because we understand that things still need to right. change within the cycling industry. But as a young woman, when you're looking at it in that sense, it just didn't look like it was the world for me. So right. I just let it go. Okay. So 10 years passed. How on earth did you find your way back? <laughs> oh, so at 28, when it happened, I was working as an admissions officer at the University of East London. And I had just started seeing... The madman that you're seeing darting around taking pictures at the moment, that's Ian, so that's my partner. Um, we, were <laughs> we were together, and um, he had a bike. So and he lived in Southsea in Portsmouth at the time, and I used to get very jealous listening to him talking about his commutes into work where he could ride down by the beachfront and things like that. And th there's no beachfront to ride to to get to the University of East London, but it would have been nice to have been cycling there full stop or just to get that. And... You know, the burning desire was always there. Looking around, I was actually spurred on by the barrier that was blocking me in the first place as well, which was that I'm not seeing anybody else like me doing this. So maybe go out there and do it and see if that actually makes a bit of a difference as well. So 
I, I went for it and found out through where I was working, they had the cycle to work scheme or cycle scheme. So there was a way for me to get a hold of my bike with like little, um, like nominated, not nominated amounts of money, but like deducted from my pay slip. So every month, uh, amount of money would come out of my pay. And at the end of it, like I paid something like 50 quid or something at the very end to like own the bike as it were. So wait, a couple questions there. Mm -hmm. Did they just tell you about the cycle oh, work scheme? Or no. how, did, like, how did you come no, across? No, I had to dig. It was like digging for gold, trying so to find out about it. So you were looking for a it. way to figure out how yeah. to get a bike. Okay. Because I knew that I wanted my the bike of my dreams that I wanted when I was younger, that my parents would never have been able to have afforded for me. Which and was? My Pashley princess. So my beloved Frankie, or Frank the Tank, as she is affectionately known. Um, I wanted that bike. But I, you know, if it's a toss-up between paying your rent and being able to live and buy a bike, then paying your rent and being able to live is going to win. Yeah, <laughs> you know. And I just thought to myself, like, I could, I could save up for it over time. But then it almost felt like this was another thing that I would be putting in front of myself. Like, I'll keep on putting down money towards it. And lo and behold, something else will happen in the meantime. And you'll dig into that pot. That's the way her life goes. And someone actually told me about the cycle to work scheme when I was talking about the fact that I wanted to get back into riding a bike, wanted to get a particular bike, didn't know if I could afford it. And they were like, oh, check with your employer. See, see if they've got that available. So I went to the human resources page. There was nothing there at all. There were lots of things about everything else that wasn't relevant to me. So childcare vouchers for nursery, uh, parking permits for staff, things like that, like nothing. And I'm like, there, there has to be, be something. I don't know why I'm thinking it's a university. They're, they're going to encourage something like this to happen. It was a proper dig. And I had to bring around different departments until I finally got through to somebody who knew what I was talking about, which was <laughs> weird. And they were like, oh, yeah, yeah, we do that. And the fact that they said not very many people go for it. So this is interesting. Well, how would they, if no one knows yeah, it exists? Put it, like, have it as a massive <laughs> banner on, like, the staff intranet or something. Do something it's to let people cool know. And I just thought, this is amazing. So I went through the process of, like, applying for it. I got my vouchers through. I had to find my nominated bike shop that would accept them as well. Found it on your bike in South London. And then it was just like, right, I, I'm going to do this. I actually have the opportunity and the avenue to get this done. But it was really disappointing that it was almost a battle to find out that that was something that was readily available. Right. I think that's pretty common where there are a lot of resources available, but we don't know about them, mm. especially because it's not a priority for most companies or governments or whatever. Yeah. And so there are a lot of people out there who probably would get into cycling if they knew that it was more accessible than they thought. So that's super frustrating to hear. Mm. Is this a thing that still happens? It still happens. Um, like obviously, the, the cycle scheme, the cycle to work scheme still happens. And I, I've not been in that world to have to use that scheme again. But the fact that I've spoken to people who have said to me, oh, you know, either that they got into cycling through reading my blog and they found out like at work immediately that they had the cycle to work scheme. That's super encouraging to yeah. know that the workplaces are being more vocal about it. You'd see things all the time now about the cycle scheme too. Is it a UK thing or a London thing? It's a UK thing. Oh, well then. Mm. That's like... That's really cool. Mm, not Man. just the London bubble, which is refreshing. So, yeah. Okay. Well, if you're <laughs> listening and you live in the UK. In the UK. Look <laughs> into it if that's something that would help you get a bike or get on a bike. That's yes. a really... I wish we had that. You don't have I anything? Sometimes they'll give, like, like deductions or you'll get, like, credits for commuting to work. Mm. But it's not, like, explicitly for cycling to work. Okay. So they'll give you like commuter credit, but I don't think there's anything that would help you buy a bike. It's, it's an awesome scheme, but then I also recognize that it's a privilege to be able to work somewhere that has that scheme available in the first place. So that's why it's really important that that's great that you have things like the cycle scheme, but right. there are other like, you know, organizations and independents out there that are doing things like the, the bike project, for instance, who have that going on. And the wonderful thing is, is that, you know, it's encouraging people from marginalized backgrounds and refugees to get into cycling Wait, as well. what's the bike project? The bike project. Do you, you do, yes, you do. We have somebody here that does something with the bike project. Are you? So the bike, the bike project um, was set up to 
It's a great question. Mm. <laughs> Oh yeah, super important. That's awesome. Mm. Bike project, Bike project. Mm. noted. Cool. It's wonderful things like this exist, and at the very, very beginning of my journey, like from childhood up to stopping and then getting back into it as an adult, if you don't know about these things, then you feel like there's nothing else out there. Well, out of curiosity, I mean. I wouldn't know, I don't live here, but out there, who of you have heard of the cycle to work scheme? That's solid, <laughs> but not everyone. And then the bike project, fewer hands. Yeah, so it's like even people who ride bikes in the city don't all know about the no. things that are available. That's crazy. Mm. I mean, it's not crazy, but it's unfortunate. Mm. Okay, so now you've got this Frank the Tank, yep. Ashley Princess, <laughs> and you are able to commute to work. Yes. Tell me more. Oh, but it wasn't a massive commute because it was just like a sort of five mile round journey going to and from, but like I remember the... the Each way or a round trip? Oh, round trip. Okay. So it's not, it wasn't huge, but I would do things to... Do not to downplay five miles if you don't... <laughs> Uh, true. If, you, if, you, if, if you're if you not a commuter do already, that, then yes. So it was huge. It, it was huge for someone who hadn't been on a bike for ten years as well. It felt pretty huge. And I've the wonderful thing was is that when it was daunting at first, because like I said, like getting the bike was quite something. Um, I had to literally learn how to ride that bike just going back a few steps the day that I picked it up from mm -hmm. on your bike as well, because. One of the things I'd actually done was put in for the um, like bike proficiency, like for adults, like to get back into cycling with my local council. They never came back to me. So I chased with them and they were like, someone will let you know. I never heard anything back. Wait, what and was this for? Um, basically like to uh, like road skills in that sense of just like refreshing your road skills on getting back on like your confidence and things like that. And I was like, I haven't been on a bike for 10 years. I think this could do me the world of good. Right. And I wasn't ashamed or anything to do anything like that because I wanted to feel confident. But it was kind of sad that no one came back to me about it. So I was just like, right, okay, it's, it's fine. Maybe I'll just pick it up when I get on a bike. <laughs> and, um, went to go and collect the bike from the bike shop. Um, Ian cycled to on your bike to meet me there. I got the Jubilee line. He got there before me and he was pretty much like saying this is why you're going to enjoy being on a bike because it's just the, the freedom and just getting to places quicker and feeling less stressed as well. Um, although I was quite stressed because I was still thinking to myself, I hadn't been on a bike for 10 years. This could go quite badly. Got the bike. Um, it's really weird because I had a practice ride of the bike inside of the shop when I was doing <laughs> everything with the On Your Bike scheme because they had an area where you could actually pedal. Did this go better than the first time you tried that BMX in yeah, your hallway? Yeah, much better. <laughs> this is the thing, you know, I didn't fall over and like break my ass or anything, which was great. But, you know, we did it in the shop and I don't know what happened between the time of being that woman in the shop having a go on the, the equivalent of the yellow brick road inside of there and then getting outside and realizing I've actually got a cycle from South South London to East London and <laughs> even though I know the way I'm supposed to be going and even though I've got my boyfriend there with me to cycle the fear just overwhelmingly so legitimate. eat me I was just like I can't do this there was a, a point where you know came out of the bike shop Ian's asking me Are you all right you cool and I'm like mm -hmm, yeah cool cool yeah that's cool and then when it came to set off I just said to him this was a mistake I, I Seriously, I can't do this. And it was just everything I started thinking about, the traffic that would have been going in either way, you know, the fact that I could have ended up wobbling and just completely forgetting my balance, like getting sideswiped by a lorry. Every worst scenario that I could possibly think about was going through my head. And I, I have anxiety anyway. If people have read my blog and seen me talk about it on social media. It gets bad. And this was one of those days where it just got bad. And Ian was saying to me, right, got two options. I lock my bike up 
I ride your Pashley back home. You get on the Jubilee line. I'll come back and I'll get my Ridge back, which was the bike he had at the time. And then that's cool. You can keep this one. <laughs> <laughs> or we have a little practice ride somewhere and we see how we go. And it doesn't matter how long it takes to get home. We'll just try. Yeah. And I thought to myself, sure. do you know what? It's the second option is the one. Because I thought to myself, if I don't do this now... When am I ever going to do this? This was the thing. And it's not even like I was trying to throw myself into the fire. It was like, I, I have to do this. I've got to break the back of this and find out if I can. And I'm I mean, you worked so hard to get that it's beautiful just, bike. Yeah, you know, there was, <laughs> it was a long wait for Frankie. And it's like, I just, I want to do her justice and ride her home as well. So all of my bikes have names, by the way. They all have names and personalities, which I will go through at some point. So we found a quiet side street which i didn't know existed in that bit of london as well that we were able to go to and we were literally just riding up and down this road and i was proper wobbling as i'm on the bike <laughs> but there was a point where it's just like yeah this is good i'm moving <laughs> i'm liking this and then he was like right a cycle home we knew the route we'd already planned it out on google maps we already knew we had the cycle super highway even though i will still say a liquor blue paint doesn't make a safe infrastructure but there you go and, you know, the ride was supposed to have taken about, I think it was 35 minutes or something. We got home maybe about three hours or something like that. Hey. So w w we got home. That's just it. We got home. And you, the look on my mother's face when we got through the door <laughs> as well, because I know she was waiting and she didn't want to phone just in case we were on the road as well. So she was literally just like in the living room like this, waiting <laughs> until we got in. But you we thought got, you were nervous. I know. It's just like, you know, I think my mum may have stopped breathing at one point. But we got home. And all I thought to myself was like, I cannot wait until it's time for me to start commuting to work. I can't wait to do this. And we'd done some practice rides, like working out my route to get to, to work. And the route, it was cool. It was all right. It wasn't like particularly picturesque because there was like riding past City Airport and things like that down towards the Docklands campus. But there were some allotments that I could ride through as well and a park that I could do a detour through. And it was just that joy of getting back on the bike and doing stuff like that meant so much. So the commute to work, it was short, but it was sweet. That's the thing that I really took away from that. And it encouraged me to be like, right, the weekends are coming. We're going to do some more riding. Right. Okay. So we learned how to ride. Mm -hmm. We stopped riding. Yes. We relearned how to ride. Yes. <laughs> How did you go from, I bought this bike and now I don't want to ride it, to I'm going to take on these bigger rides? I, I know guess. you've done like I've done Leroyka, Leroyka uh, Ride London. Ride London. Yeah. I'm going to be doing the Women's 100 this year as well. It's just all of these Is things. Is that like 100 kilometers? in a day okay, yeah, yeah. Cool. so Great. you know i really I'm, it's just like <laughs> the funny thing is is that when i got frankie she was it she was the only bike i wanted she was the love of my life i'd waited all of my my, my childhood and then some of my adult years for it and then the power of the cycling community uh -huh. and my second family changed all of that as well so <laughs> Along with getting Frankie, that was when Velo City Girl started up as well. And the, the reasoning behind that blog, other than the fact that I enjoy writing, which you may gather, um, on top of that, like I like to keep journals and diaries. And I had a blog before Velo City Girl that was called The Black Barbie Experience that I used to write on. And I'm I sorry, wait, what is that one about? <laughs> The Black Barbie experience, because uh -huh. a nickname, it's explained in the book as well. Uh -huh. but the, okay, then we'll save it. Yeah, I'll read about it. There was a nickname that I ended up picking up. The blog got called that. But Black Barbie experience wasn't the place that I wanted to talk about my cycling. I actually right. wanted to start a whole new chapter, so Fellow City Girl happened. Okay. And like I said, it was the extension of diary keeping. And also, as I said, like the whole feeling of not seeing anybody like me. Like I decided I wanted to... Not, not be the black face of cycling or something like that, but it was just like, if there are any other young girls like me at the beginning of their journey that are feeling like there's no one that they can connect to, maybe my face might help, maybe it might encourage you, so let me stick it out there and see how it goes. I was preparing myself for any trolling that might have happened. Like, I'm sure I probably would have, I did get trolled. There were elements of that I mean, happening. Internet. Yeah. And then there was the encouragement as well. And that's why I say that the cycling family that came into it, because quite a few of you women that are sat here now, I met through the power of being on a bike and talking about it online. So that was one of the biggest boosts that suddenly turned into, 
oh, Frankie's the only bike that I want to... Now we have, between the two of us, 10 bikes in our house. So, <laughs> yeah. Things. You're another victim of N plus one. Yeah, <laughs> hard, really, really hard. So, good, yeah. Good bicycle math. Mm. <laughs> but it's, it's connecting with other people, especially other women out there that were doing things that I didn't think I had in me. So, like, my inspiration comes from every single woman that I meet on a bike doing her thing. It means so much and encourages me to try something that I would have otherwise been terrified of. So did you find that people were inviting you to do things like Lorica and Ride London? Or were you, like, you saw it and then decided you wanted to do it? It was a mix of the two. So there was the whole element of, like, the the blog side of it, when the blog got popular and people would invite me to come along and do those rides, but then there was also the element of, like I said, the friends that I would make saying to me, I think you'd really enjoy this, or, you know, just give it a try and see. You know, sometimes they were... Were they right? They were right. They were completely right. It was like one of my sort of opposite examples of that is the first time that I ended up riding around um, a track. So I was invited to go to an event that was happening at the National Cycling Centre in Manchester. And one of the things with it was to actually have a go around the velodrome. I didn't think I had it in me to do that. I like watching that on TV. I like listening to the women that I know who ride track talking about it. But the idea of me doing that, nah, you're We're all right, all you know. familiar with the velodrome? Okay. Continue. <laughs> So it's like, you know, I even got told by the organisers, if you don't feel comfortable, like, you can just sit it out and watch it. And I thought, I travelled all the way from London to Manchester for this. I've, I need to give it a go, even though it's not going to be my bike that I will be on. They will have all of that sorted out. That was another thing that scared me, because it was getting on a bike that wasn't mine, like, adapted for, for my size or my needs or anything like that. But I was like, oh... I'll give it a go. And I talked about it on social media. Like, I put it out there because I love putting everything on social media. So <laughs> I put it out there and I could hear the sharp intake of breath from some of the tweets that I was getting because it was just a, oh, you might not enjoy that. You might not like that. And I was like, that's not what I was looking for. I was looking for encouragement. And I think when someone or people have you pigeonholed as being a particular kind of I don't want to say cyclist, but, you know, you know, whatever bike it is that they're used to seeing you on, that's it, that's your thing. And that's kind of shitty when that happens. But, you know, there were some people giving me some really friendly advice about it as well, but almost bombarding me with the advice to the point that it was kind of scaring me, some of the stuff, because it was, like, too much information. Like, let me find out for myself, because you're actually giving me the fear of God telling me some of this stuff. <laughs> and some of, like, like, sort of technical terms they were coming out with as well. My brain was not computing and I was just like maybe, maybe this is going to be really bad but I'll only find out if it's bad if I get on the bike and get on the track and see what happens and it was a joy <laughs> so you, you had fun on the I had a room. lot of fun I had a lot of fun so you know starting off just in the, the little bit the, the what's it called is it the um that's it Cote de thank you very much you see things like this psh, out my brain doing that and then building and then the speed and then getting higher and then realizing that you're sort of defying gravity and i i know it was very sort of uncouth of me but i was screaming as i was going around <laughs> as well and um one of the instructors made a joke and basically said they were going to have a swear box for me at the end of it because it was just it was expletives of joy that were coming out of my mouth and i just kept on thinking to myself i'm actually bloody doing this that i'm on the track and i've not slid down and got splinters up my bum or something like that that i'm still riding around and then it was just the joy of winding back down again and then having a little break and it was impossible to get me off of that track right. and i just thought at the very beginning of my cycling journey, this was not the plan. But because of the... Never is. You know, the, the, <laughs> like I said, the people that I've met, the encouragement that I've got, and just talking to people about it as well has just made me think, it's possible, it's not impossible to do something like that. So it, it meant a lot. It really meant a lot. All right. So you've written a book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it just came out this week. Yes, it did. Congratulations. Can Thank you give a round you. of applause? It's my glamorous assistant here showing you. And I don't know if anyone else noticed. Can you hold up that book again? She is matching <laughs> the book. I dressed as my book. <laughs> Can I you tell I us a little bit about this about about this this, so yeah. this has been a, a labor of love that's taken up almost 
three years of my life, which feels really wild to know that that's how long it had taken. But um, as cliched as it sounds, the idea of writing a book about my experiences and what I've been through and shining a light on some of the other amazing women that I have met, including Aisha McGowan, who is in the book as well, um, was calling to me. And I ended up meeting with a literary agent who understood what I wanted to do, what I wanted to talk about, the kind of book that I wanted to write. And it wasn't just plonked on my lap. I want to make that particularly clear that it was a hard slog to do it. So I had to go through book pitch ideas with her. I then had to go through writing um, example chapters, the whole book draft, like planning it out, what it was supposed to be like refining that so many times and then her taking it off to the London Book Fair and touting it to publishers who may have been interested in it. And, you know, there was some interest, which was really good. There were some really interesting rejections that I got about it as well. Define interesting. Uh, interesting um, in the sense of some publishers didn't think anybody would be interested in reading about these experiences. They couldn't see anywhere where it would fit within the books that they had coming out. Um, cycling isn't really that much of a thing. Oh, girl. Yeah. <laughs> I mean. I was like, do you know what? And the, the funny thing is, is that I actually really appreciate how Frank, my agent, Joe Bell, if you're listening and like, you know, watching this, I love you. But the fact that she was so frank with me, she didn't sugarcoat anything because she said that it could be tough, and especially as a black woman getting into publishing as well with a subject that's primarily dominated by white men, then this might not be an easy sell at all. And you know, she let me know the feedback that was coming back on it. And then there's me just sitting down sort of seething, but then <laughs> it's like encouraging me to be like, no, this, this is a story that needs to be told. It's not just my story that I'm telling, and it needs to get out there. So we are going to fight and we're going to make sure that this happens. Well, thank you for fighting. Thank you. Oh, no. for thank the next thank you and all of you for giving me the strength to be able to have that fight in me as well. It means a lot. So, yeah. Sweet. So I think we could talk with Jules until the end of time. I know I can. <laughs> but we don't have until the end of time. So we are going to call it a day on this podcast. Thank you so much for sharing that much of your story with us. And I'm pretty sure if you buy her book, you can learn even more about her just fantastic journey. And I don't know, I think she's amazing and mm -hmm. just deserves everything. And I hope you get it. I Thank really do. Thank you. Thank um, you so much. So thanks so much for being here and participating and being so open and willing to share and being vulnerable. Yeah. I think a lot of the time, at least in cycling, people are judged so much mm -hmm. that it's terrifying to talk about failure or talk about times where you weren't super confident about something. Um, so it's really important to hear those stories and, and like be able to relate to those stories because we all have them whether we share them or not. Um, and thank all of you for coming. It didn't feel, Tim didn't feel early until last night. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, if we start at 10, then I have to get up at what time? <laughs> Um, so yeah, thank you so much for being here and um, just listening and being such a good, engaging, fantastic audience. So I am going to actually open the floor for questions, if you have them, for Jules or I guess even myself, even though this one ain't about me. No, but, no, no, um, no, 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 it's about you too. <laughs> this is the time. We are here and there are no bad questions, there are no silly questions, and it no. can be about literally anything. I think when we were in Birmingham, what was the question? Like panniers or basket or yeah, something? Yeah, that was, was like whatever you want to know. And it was know. the hardest question. I was asked <laughs> to choose between. Oh, it was a very divisive. Yeah, <laughs> basket, pannier or handle. Handlebar bag. No, that's it, rucksack. It was rucksack, oh. pannier and basket. And I was asked to choose which one. <laughs> that see, got added See the faces. Well. See, <laughs> it was a conundrum having to choose. So yeah, like Aisha says, no wrong bad questions. <laughs> See that the debate is happening uh -huh, already, uh -huh. you know? So does anyone yeah. have any questions about anything? Go on, go on. If you could say anything to 18-year-old Jules now, So wait, the question was, if you could say anything to 18-year-old Jules now, what would it be? I would say to 18-year-old Jules, don't stop. If you have any, now like, I have yeah, there's just like you have, you're, you're gonna have 
the bike of your dreams. You're going to meet so many amazing people on your journey as well. And it's genuinely the power of a bike is going to change your life. But don't stop. I, 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 there's part of me that feels the sting thinking about those 10 years. And then there's also part of me that thinks that maybe everything happens for a reason. And it all came back to my life when it was supposed to. Because like I said, it's a, a, a whole other a cop, like, topic of conversation. But I'm very frank about my living with depression and anxiety and that was something that's been with me since I was a child as well and there's almost that whole thing of the joy that I would get from being on a bike when things were really shit I wished 18 year old me had known to just hang on to that so I would tell her don't stop but it's gonna be really wicked later on so yeah <laughs> sweet anyone else So the question is, if your sister, Jules, is considering getting back in the frame. I like that. <laughs> I like I that, like Vanessa. That. I like it. <laughs> Do you know what? She did. That's the brilliant thing is that she did. She's not like a super regular on the bike. But the wonderful thing is, is that her two boys, Samuel and Benjamin, my nephews, are into riding bikes as well. So that was a joy. And um, she, they used to go like riding um, like in Wanstead Flats of like Epping Forest. They would go and ride like as a family, which was really cool. My sister still misses the, the buzz that she used to get, but she kind of lives it vicariously through her, her sons. She, she will get on a bike with them as well. But a lovely thing that me and my sister were able to do together was when um, Samuel's 13th birthday swung around, he really wanted a BMX, and me and my sister built it for him. So we got it and put it together. So that was a really lovely thing to do. So it was like a sort of big full circle thing Aww. of doing that. So we built his bike, and I went out for a little ride with him when he got it, because it was delivered, it's a long story, but it was delivered to our <laughs> house. Sister came over, we built it at ours. Nephew came over, got the bike of his dreams. Was it the same park? No, Aww. we didn't go to the same park, but we were in the same area. That was still the thing, right, so it was still, still where poetic. we were riding. But yeah, but it Sweet. was wonderful to do that. <laughs> questions, questions. Okay, what happens now after the book? Are you still going to carry on with your blog? And is there going to be a book number two? Well... I'm definitely carrying on with the blog. That's not stopping. I have a backlog of stuff that I need to write about. Um, and it's just like everything has kind of been taken over by the book, which is kind of insane. So I've kind of been micro-blogging by putting stuff on Instagram, which is one of my favorite platforms to put pictures and talk. Uh, the, the book, hopefully, I'm going to be trying to tour that as much as possible. So it's nice to do things in London. It's really nice to do things outside of London as well. So doing something in Birmingham this week and doing it with Aisha was cool. But if you know of any independent bookshops and like bike shops out there that might be interested, shout, holler Bring at me, Jules, let me know. Where you are. And book two, there is an idea festering for book two already that is still about bikes and actually involves some background stuff about Trinidad as well. Oh, so. and I already want to read it. <laughs> so just go ahead and write it. So Thanks. yeah, there, there's going to be some work to do on that. I'm already talking to my literary agent about it. So I know all of this stuff, you know, is still happening, but fingers are tapping and my brain is working overtime. So yes, cool, yes. Cool, cool. Yes. What was the best and worst part of the process of writing the book? Do you know what? The, the best part of it, and it's going to sound really weird, is like when it was finished, but when I actually knew that it was finished. Not that my editor or my literary agent said to me, that's it, it's done, you've hit your deadlines, but it was hitting the point where I had written the last part of it and I could actually think, this is it. It's, it's done, this is... I feel like this is done. It's a book. Yeah, my editor might say otherwise when I send it back, but it's done. And it was like going back and looking at the, the stories that I told, but the stories I was able to share of the women that I interviewed in the book as well was the best part too. Because like I said, it's not just my story. My story is a rich tapestry of all of the experiences that I've had and the other amazing women like Aisha that I have met in cycling as well. So that's the whole thing. That was the, the glorious part. Um, the worst part of doing, doing the book, I think it was all of the times that I hit the wall and I didn't think I had it in me to carry on with it. 
Like I said, there was a combination of some really bad shit that was happening while I was writing the book as well. My mum was very unwell during the process of writing it and towards the tail end of the book, I didn't think I was going to get it finished because I was sitting in a hospital with my laptop on my lap and watching over my mum at the same time. And it almost felt like my priority is my mother, like nothing comes before her for that. And then at the same time, I've got my mum in a hospital bed saying, take your laptop home, go home and work, I'm fine, I'm not going anywhere. And I'm just like, I don't know that though, I'm gonna stay here with you. So it was, that, that was hard. And it was the, the feelings, I, I have problems with my own self-worth basically as well. And it almost didn't feel like that I was worthy enough to have this opportunity to do it. So that's something in you my brain that are. I need to reconcile. <laughs> <laughs> but um, those, that, was, that was the worst part. And now that the scary part is actually doing this kind of stuff and talking about it, because it's amazing that I've done it. It's terrifying when you suffer with anxiety to actually go out there and talk about it as well. So yeah, but this is like having a chat with my family. So it's fine. It's absolutely fine. Well, we're yeah. very glad that you pressed through. You are definitely worthy <laughs> and you're so good at it so please keep going if thank you have it you. in you thank you any other questions i think we i think you've answered them all oh oh one more oh, oh. How can I rephrase that question? Do you find that commuting to work either relaxes you or if you can't commute to work that it has like a negative effect? Uh, yeah. Um, I know there was a job that I was in that became mega stressful at one point. And it was, it was weird because sometimes even commuting to work for that job because of the route that I used to have to take, it wasn't actually fun. So having to cycle to Waterloo at whatever time in the morning and dealing with that traffic and going over Tower Bridge and things like that, it would actually make me more anxious, which was the, the crazy thing because the traffic, if it was bad, would set me off. But then there were the days where all I wanted to do was be on my bike that morning and just be chill heading into work if I could do it. Even if it meant, weirdly enough, leaving earlier so that I could avoid some of the crazy traffic that would build up with the rush hour, just the joy of being on the bike would, would calm me down. But now that I'm not in the sort of traditional nine to five world anymore, like I'm going to be starting up a new job soon, which I'm very excited about. Um, I will be able to cycle, but it will be a nice route that I'm going to be taking and it will be nice and chilled and sort of cycling on my own terms, which is lovely as well. But it, being on a bike does calm me down. It does calm me down. There, there are moments where, and I've talked about it before, like being on a bike is the last thing that I want to do because it's even that and to the point that sometimes there are days where I can't even pull myself out of bed because things get so bad. But when I'm in it, when I'm in that groove, when I'm riding, and it feels good, I feel good. And it feels like that carries on through the rest of the day to the point that when you know it hits five, six o'clock and it's time to go home and it's getting back on the bike again, that's mm -hmm. how it feels, so yeah. Cool. <laughs> yes. Which bike are you going to ride to work? Ooh, which bike are you oh! going to ride to work? You know what, my love affair at the moment is with Paisley, who is my Brompton, so my purple baby that's over there in the corner, so. Paisley, Paisley Park, Prince, Purple, Love Prince, that's where the name comes from. Um, and I think that Brompton has given me another level of freedom with cycling that I had lost sight of, because it is the possibility of if something goes wrong and I freak out, I can fold it up, get on the, the train, the tube or whatever and do it, and then know if I want to get back on it, I have the option to do so. So... Paisley is the bike that I am on a lot at the moment. When I went up to, to Birmingham to do the talk, that's the bike that I, I went on as well. So, you know, I have different bikes for different things, but it's going to be the Brompton primarily that I'm going to be on. But that may change. <laughs> Obviously, that may change. I mean, change. it sounds like you've so got a few to choose from. Yeah, <laughs> there's, there's, there's choices. There may be even more choices. There, there, there might be a new 
temple cycle in my future. So, you know, so yes, I know. Have the bikes. So Karina's got some as well. So, yeah, so temple bikes. So, yeah, that, that may be happening. So, yes. Sweet. Mm. Cool. <laughs> Any other questions? All right. Wait, did you have oh. one? No? no. I, thought I, I thought I saw a hand. All right. <laughs> I think we're good. All right, so thanks so much. Thanks to all of you. Thank you. How much are the books? The books are $14.99, and I will be doing signings of them as well if anybody would like my chicken scratchings in them. So, yes. So, $14.99. <laughs> yes. Cash only. Only, yeah. She will sign them for you. If you don't have cash, there's a cash point. Which way? It's that away. That so away. A cash point that away. This so. is a great opportunity to buy it because she's here and yeah. can sign it. So I have to get you to sign mine as yes. well. Um, <laughs> but yeah, buy the book. If you're listening, you can buy the book where? You can buy it from Hive, Amazon, Waterstones, Foils, Stanford Travel have it as well. The Book Depository also have it too. But if you basically search for it online, you will find different stockists that will have it on there too. But yeah, it's all on the blog. If you go to velocitygirl.co.uk forward slash books, all of the stockists, including international stockists, are on there also. Oh, so yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's available in the UK for sure. It's available in the UK for sure. So as I said to you, like um, international publication and delivery dates do differ because I know yes. in the States it's like the 23rd of July it that sure it's going to be coming. But, but I skipped the yeah. line. I know, I know. <laughs> So I used to kind of bumped it, but I, I don't know why it's different in the States and things but like that. But you can pre-order in the States. I did it like two months ago, yes. so it's possible. So if you are listening and you do not live in the UK, order your book now. Well, there you go. So yeah, thank Sweet. you very much. And thanks, thanks so Aisha. Much. <laughs> bicycle, 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 race. Thanks so much to Jules for being a part of this episode of Quick Round Foxes. And thanks to Look No Mill Hands on 49 Old Street in London, England for allowing us to use their space. And last but not least, thank you for listening and everyone else who showed up to a live recording. I truly appreciate it. Please consider supporting this project by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash aquickbrownfox. If you'd like to see what I'm up to or find out more about my advocacy in racing, or follow me on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at I Suppose, A-Y-E-S-U-P-P-O-S-E. Until next time.